0: Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, thank you for sharing that wonderful movie. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. I've never been more excited uh, for a podcast yeah. recording in my life. <laughs> been, but but before, uh,
0: before we go to Sonic the Hedgehog... Uh, <laughs> Do you want to do a little, or do we do that after? I don't know. We wanted to talk a little about about webcams and Zoom and the state of working from home.
1: I think it's kind of on topic uh, a little bit, but you and I were just uh, chatting beforehand. You asked me if I had watched um, Saturday Night Live, which resumed this week, and the cast was all uh, recording from home. Um, And I don't know. What what was your feeling on it?
0: Well, it's... Exactly like, like you were saying, there's uh, Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and everyone's trying to do the video from home thing. And then there's a whole generation of YouTubers that have been in their bedroom and have slowly become more professional at, at the yeah. indie, indie presentation thing. So it seems like the pros are sort of <laughs> really having a hard time going to the home model and the, and yeah. the people who came from the home are already way more pro
1: yeah like what was so, what's been so remarkable to me is like it, the aesthetic and just like the way you perform at home alone, um, it, like if you if you've been doing it, you, people are so good at it now. When I started, obviously, like I felt I was good. There are people that have far surpassed me, obviously, but like one of the um, most awkward things I think if you watch like especially the an older generation like a Colbert who's really been surrounded by a studio staff. Their whole With the lives. laugh track and
0: the, yeah. all that
1: stuff. So like, but he'll pause after each joke as if like, you know, pausing for laughter. But that doesn't exist on the internet. It certainly doesn't exist. Either. Like what he doesn't realize it's is... It's
0: so funny to see it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think, uh, did you see Bill Maher? He he sort of had stock footage from the 30s of a laughing audience cut in between.
1: I've seen that too. And like on SNL, they did a few experiments today where like um, for weekend update. Um, uh, that kind of like, worked, huh? Well, what like they did is they had a like the, a live Zoom call, so like the audience, yeah. yeah, it worked a little bit better. But here, like, here's what I think is that you actually perform; it's a different kind of performance. You you have to stop performing for an audience and start performing for yourself, or for and for the technology, right? And
0: there were these these two guys from SNL that started with their own sketches. I think Kyle Mooney and the other one that they've always played on extreme awkwardness as sort of the topic <laughs> yeah, of the. Yeah. And so so theirs were there better. Yeah, but yeah. then when they play on the medium itself, there was one where it was a Zoom call gone wrong. Yeah, then it kind of works. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think I don't know if
0: you saw that one with the two receptionist ladies that can't figure out. Zoom. That's
1: probably the best spot, even though they're kind of easy jokes. But I think in terms of it actually functioning, in terms of rhythm and being a part of, feeling like you could you could kind of catch the, the pace and the drive of the like the bit, like you you could follow along. Where other ones you just like you know, you find yourself being like, Ugh, I'm going to move on, which is like really but interesting it, for me because it's like, that's that's really what you're it, fighting as a YouTube artist. You're always fighting that 15
0: but at the seconds same time, of tension. SNL is such a comedic institution and a weekly ritual that you've been missing. And the fact that they're back, sort of, even if it's not that good, but they're talking about the topics we're dealing with yeah. is kind of cathartic, especially the one with the Zoom and that we've all been in awkward Zoom conversations. Definitely. And they're talking about it. And it... And at the same time, the fact that it doesn't really work makes you feel like, yeah, it's going to take a long time before things are back to normal.
1: Yeah. I just think that they, they could learn a little bit watching uh, YouTubers and like, you know, or listening to podcasts. And the one thing they, they two things they can said, learn. Go but f- that being like, said, yeah.
0: like um, some, someone like Marques Brownlee, who's a very well-produced uh, yep. gadget reviewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, he's a super pro at but he's not a comedian, so I, I don't know if from all those YouTube influencers, a lot of it is product reviews or movie reviews or things like that. Yeah. I don't know if YouTube is such a great place for improv comedy or sketches.
1: Geez, or- thanks, Raph. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm only... Yeah, been- but you're an artist. It's different. <laughs> yeah, but there there actually, there was a piece in the New York Times about sketch comedy on YouTube and stuff, and I th- like I think that they, there are uh, good comedians. There are, and vi- like the thing about me being a video artist, sure on YouTube, I still I always imagined that I you know I, I would be a comedian, and it, but I fell back on YouTube. It was an easier audience to a certain extent. However, like there are things that you do that are just different. Like you feel a you 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 speak a lot faster. Why do you speak faster? Because you have a lot less time to hold your audience's attention, because they can skip ahead at any time. The yeah, second it's thing the same you do, with
0: lectures. That I think now with online learning, that the professors have to learn that.
1: Yeah, and the, that that mode of of performing actually evolved in terms of editing. So editing for YouTube is very different than editing for TV. You edit um, like these jump cuts, and there's the ironic jump cut. So like one thing that I haven't seen any of these like um, these people do, except for maybe like Jimmy Kimmel's done a little bit of it is use the like high production value as a mocking or ironic gesture and the reason you do that again is there's comedy in the in the like in the means of production there's comedy in I the medium itself i saw a
0: sketch there was a sketch of jimmy fallon talking to justin timberlake and then they cut it really fast and that kind of worked Oh, good. It, yeah. It became rhythmic and then it became a beat of them going back and forth. And you know.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So there's just like stuff where you have to acknowledge it's not the same. And it's really interesting to see people struggle who have been part of the studio kind of industrial yeah. complex because they're used I to think, having a support staff around them and an audience. I and it's think,
0: like. I think us growing up on the internet, I was always excited that the internet leveled the playing field and that no matter how professional you are, we all have the same size of the screen that we. Uh, yeah. show the work to our audience so now you see museums or galleries trying to make apps or web experiences and they the whole premise of a museum or gallery is that you have really expensive real estate that doesn't have furniture that's that's yeah. art context But so also, like, what, what's the yeah. most baller thing is to, to have a, in the middle of manhattan to have a skyscraper that's empty and so but i all think of the, sudden everybody's yeah. in the browser and it's like oh yeah i guess we're all equal now
1: but I think aesthetically, like the vernacular web, even for internet artists, was the idea that you take the amateur aesthetic and you run with it as the like as a device, right? And so, if you watch a Shauna Moulton video, let's put it back in the realm of video, it's going to be ten times better. Like this is a video artist who's quite funny than watching an SNL skit with um, uh, what's her name on SNL? Ah, uh, anyway, blanking. There's like a Shauna Moulton like but- sketch on. On this, yeah, I on this understand that
0: point, but but then what about something that is like a Bill Viola? Does that work online?
1: Uh, well, no, Bill Viola was creating stuff like as a Matthew Barney like figure, you know, for high production. Yeah. I, there's a generation of artists yeah. though that embraced low production bedroom artists, including musicians, by the way. And I think it's interesting to look at like what was happening on SoundCloud over the last five years and like cloud rap. That was the idea was a low. Uh, low cut like low low brow um lo-fi aesthetic like bedroom aesthetic yeah
0: and it doesn't have to translate to a live concert experience
1: well in a live concert experience too it's a raw or like not sound like not overproduced sound right like overproduction yeah, but, but like- when,
0: when you think of something like stadium rock that was really designed oh, yeah. for the stadium experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the harder you're shouting the music, the better. But then a lot of uh, SoundCloud rap is more about mumbling as softly as possible because you're in your bedroom and you don't want to wake up your mom or something. So you, and then when you translate that to a concert setting, then it's really a different thing.
1: Well, the way Cloud Rap, I think, appealed in a concert setting was they would make the shows really small and packed, right? Like, really, they would actually try and leverage intimacy. And And then the the other thing that they would do is... There
0: was a bit with Hannibal Buress where he was talking about Riff Raff. At (laughs) Riff Raff concerts, they just play the whole song with Riff Raff's vocals, and he just says every 20th word at the end of the sentence or something. It's a different uh, kind of performance, though. Hannibal Buress was doing the same, that he would play the joke and then say the, the word at the end of the joke.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think like um, it's. I think it's just different, and I. It's just funny to see. I mean, I'm not like teasing mainstream, but I think like I ho- I'm hopeful that there's recognition for the talent. Are you
0: not empathic to all the disenfranchised comedians?
1: Not really, because I think like you know, there's this one normative line, like you know, career ladder, and there's all. I think within art, we immediately, if you're an artist. You're kind of like from day one, mm, the regular, like the the normal path is not a path that's available to me. No, so. and
0: you're also like, I'm probably going to be broke the rest of my life. <laughs>
1: yeah, so you're like, how am I going to win at this? Okay, well, I'm going to have to like, you know, develop a niche audience. I'm going to have to like be really smart about how um, I, I use my material. I'm going to have to be self-reflexive. I'm going to have to do all these things. And I think... you you don't go like, I'm gonna have to find a perfect agent. Maybe you do like, but only if you're a painter or something like that, I'm gonna have to find the perfect gallery. But most of the time you're like, because most artists don't find a gallery. They're like, how am I gonna represent myself in this like very hostile environment? and i just think yeah. it's um it's just a different career track and a different track but it, it results in a i don't know here's the thing here's my point is that for years and years people have been like teasing um, me and other artists that like your lo-fi aesthetic is like it's never going to you're never going to make it because of that right but in this mode you can see that talent you know there is a talent in in the in this in the work of internet artists that have been disregarded to a certain extent for a generation and um I, I like I don't know, I like it. I got like it was funny this week in Canada especially, this is the feeling. But this week I did like a, a little internet show that a bunch of great friends put together, Faith Hall and Laura Mills. They they did this um thing called they formed a collective called Silicon Valley and then put together like a mega show of like a hundred internet artists. But the, yeah, I'm not that. gonna I'm not gonna get into the details except that like um, the, it, it got editor's pick in Canadian art, which is Canadian art is like our art forum in Canada. And it's like, it honestly has never covered me or any other internet arts based in Canada. And like, has just like completely turned away, almost like out of disgust. Well, I think the
0: interesting thing is back to the fancy real estate idea that I remember a, a long time ago, I was like an artist pick by someone in Flash Art, the Italian magazine. And I sent them my press images, and it had one folder of exhibition images and one folder of screenshots. And they didn't use the screenshots because they're just not readable as art. Yeah. uh, Like that hasn't entered the, the realm. So the same exact work but on a screen in a gallery is readable as art. Yeah. But the same exact image, just as uh, cropped as is, it's just unreadable. Like people are like, "Oh, why is there clip art in this magazine?"
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think though that it's like it, it doesn't fit into the normative view of what art is. So anyway, but so
0: it's that it's that same thing with video art that for a long time if it was presented on the triniton uh, sony cube then yeah. it's an art piece yeah. well yeah
1: no in fact for it to be recognized as video art in a still in an in a magazine or, or like a book it has to have the scan lines like they people would photograph the tv mm. to make up more Well you know, like.
0: for a long time i was mad about that but then at the same time there is something about uh, materiality and uh, art, uh, artifacts and, and it, it, like there's something satisfying about a huge LED billboard that has some missing lines and uh, dead pixels, and uh, there's something beautiful about that too. So. Sure, it's just something else. That's all I'm saying. I mean, like, I, I noticed the same thing with my haiku. Like, it, haiku is maybe the perfect example of lo-fi. It, it's really the, the playing field is leveled. You really don't need any tools mm-hmm. other than your own brain. And I noticed if I just posted them on Twitter, which would seem like the perfect medium, there wasn't much response. It was just kind of like, okay. And then when I made a book of it and shared photos of the book, or if, uh, if you install it, somehow that became more energized and people responded to it more. So it's there's a similar thing in music when you make electronic music. And if you use tones that are too pure, mm-hmm. like that there's no distortion whatsoever, it's, it's kind of difficult for the ear, for the human ear.
1: Okay, I think this is a good like um, this is a good segue point into this yeah. week's recording because really we wanted to discuss um, this movie Sonic this the Hedgehog. Masterpiece? Yeah, it is actually a masterpiece, Raphael, and I'll tell you why, <laughs> but it's going to take the whole episode. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, why would we pick such a movie? Um, there's so many ways to. Why start. do you say we? Well, I did pick this movie. <laughs> why? Yeah. Because, well, the thing is, I think like you know, you you just assume. Um, this is like a commercial. Maybe if you don't know anything about the film, you, you assume it's like a commercial blockbuster for families. And uh, that would only be like 10% of the story of why this movie is interesting in my mind. Um, and if you watch the movie well, The trailer it,
0: is, is, is the, the, the first big thing to think about.
1: Yeah, I think that, so this is, this movie sets up, there's a bunch of precedents this movie sets in the history of movie making, And so I just want to get into them one at a time. Maybe we start there. Maybe
0: maybe we should preface with a little bit of memories of the video game. Did you play the video game as a kid?
1: Yes, I have like really strong memories about this video game. Um, Specifically, I remember uh, it was summer break. Um, I was like staying in a beachside cabin. I went over to a friend's house. They had a Sega Genesis. They're like, let me show you what we've got going on. The the game that came with the Sega Genesis was Sonic the Hedgehog. The the CRT screens, speaking of CRT screens, lit up in bright green, you know, bright blue and red. And it's like scorched into my eyeballs. This like, the beautiful image, like going so fast, like 60 frames per second. Because I'm always,
0: yeah, I'm always interested in the formal side of uh, display technology. And movies, whatever you do, even if you film something that has bright colors, the the colors are not separated as clearly as in a sixteen-bit video game, where it's really this pixel is red and that pixel yeah. is green, and there's nothing in between. It's, it's very absolute, more absolute than it, it's similar to a mosaic, I guess. Yeah,
1: I think the art and sound design. But but of it's, the original it was Sonic a new was color incredible. experience. Yeah, like, new color and
0: really visceral.
1: <clears throat> and the sound design experience—the the sound of collecting rings, that, and then losing your rings—was like it's like so signature. Another
0: thing. Uh, Another thing to note is that each console had a different sound chip. So there was a different hardware. Th- these were not sound files that uh, you could play the same game on another console. These were uh, pieces of code that would trigger certain hardware components in a sound chip. So yeah. each console had its own s- limited set of tones that was different. So that the ring sound was very specific to the Sega console.
1: Right. I think um there's the Sega Genesis which was a was it an 8-bit or a 16-bit console so regardless it was like a subset you know you had a subsample of the spectrum of sound because of the num- you know the essentially yeah it's the, the, the same
0: era. era as the as the the Nintendo with Mario
1: yeah so exactly that was an eight-bit 8-bit era so also your color palette was limited to I guess 16 no that no 16 colors was was previous generation before that so your color palette would have been 256 colors um and your sound yeah, don't quote
0: us on that the the only i know from roughly. the Commodore 64 that you had 16 colors but even in a grid of eight by eight pixels you could only use three different ones or something like that so it, it was really limited
1: anyway there, yeah there were a lot of challenges so when you saw great art in video games at that time if you're a kid you you would compare the graphics like i would pick up a magazine and i would read like read like articles about like how they achieved <laughs> like this incredible yeah, but the, pixel look to me the,
0: the interesting thing about the pixel look is that that was uh, all about imagination it wasn't about a technical feat because they all had limited colors but it was that an artist had decided okay if i juxtapose this color next to this color you get this weird texture and it seems to glow
1: yeah yeah
0: and you're playing with the 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 shortcomings Dithering of the crt monitor and yeah. how the colors sort of bounce into each other and things like that.
1: But but the one thing about Sonic that was exceptional versus other games was it really showcased speed. And I can imagine that like Sega was excited to make their console feel faster. Like the performance was built into this thing. Um, which is still a narrative that video game companies use, which is like our technology is better. So it was a real showpiece anyway for the platform. That's why it came with it. Versus Mario, which was like... <coughs> Sega tried to position itself as kind of like the cool kid versus like the safe family. It was like Disney versus, yeah, like
0: like it was the same age, but it was the kid that that was feeling a little more grown up. Yeah,
1: exactly. Which is a kind of good lead into this film and like what they were trying to do. This isn't the first time like um, Sonic has been in like animation or, but his first live action movie, and this is the first part of like a different, like a weird story. So. First of all, the decision was made to make this a live-action movie, not a full animation uh, movie. Like it could have been all CGI, but Sonic is a CGI character. Yeah. yeah, Sonic is a CGI character in a you know quote unquote real world, and as such, you had they had to design Sonic um, to uh, like fit into that world. And Raphael was referring to this trailer. The first trailer for this movie. First of all, the movie was announced in 2016. Two years later, they released like a poster, uh, and then a trailer. And then the poster already started to give, you know, kind of fans uh, this opportunity to react. Uh, to, Did the poster to the
0: already show Jim Carrey?
1: No, Jim Carrey came on later, I believe, uh, okay. in, in the in the production cycle but um director of deadpool was like the director jim fowler i think of the movie and um anyway so but regardless i want to get into the character design because when you're taking a beloved character and you're bringing them into um you know the real world universe you know uh this is like yeah, the same first with
0: the, 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 like the lion king uh, where they go from 2D to 3D then
1: A little bit more than that, though, because, you know, I don't know if you you remember, obviously, you saw Roger Rabbit when you were a kid, right? Um, Yeah. Did you ever see Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah,
0: it's it's incredible. And
1: that was a huge leap of, um, you know, both technical ability, but also like storytelling, you know, where the animated world is mixed with the, the real world. And it's actually part of the history of filmmaking, right? Because um, Walt Disney, one of his first films or his very first film as like a young, you know, upstart was Alice in Wonderland. And it was actually a mixed reality film. So you had um, Alice was hand like, anim- there were like hand animated things that were painted right onto the film strip um, frame by frame. Uh yeah, you know,
0: like... Is- uh- Really is old, weird. really, really it, old. It, yeah, you know the the, like a, the sides of the screen are darker than the center of the screen. Like this is like a
1: hundred year a hundred year old movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's really interesting to think about it is that the first animated movie, you know, one of the first animated movies was actually like a movie just like Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> where you're trying to mix reality. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. subsequent some moved, so, uh, moved yeah. much further. But it seems to be like something we desire. I don't know if you want to get into that, but like seeing the worlds collide is something that we I are not. Fa- we are fascinated with as humans. So I when do you, not. but when you saw Rod, who framed Roger Rabbit as a kid, you must have been at least interested in this idea that your imaginary world might actually you know make no, sense but the, or I, exist I in. In Roger world.
0: Rabbit, the, the animated characters are still two D, and I, I just I've always loved two D.
1: But they kind of behave in a 3D context within that film. Yeah, it's like yeah. Um, it, you know they they kind of they still bounce around um, the hor like there's a horizon and they move in and out of there's occlusion like they move around a three dimensional scene, even if they're flat technically. Anyway, the aesthetic that was obviously mastered in that film to mix a 2D the, reality with the, 3D reality.
0: Maybe we go to when the trailer came out. The the Sonic character was a bit. Too human. Uh, okay. His, his legs were too long. his yeah. Teeth were too human. His eyes, and it gave him a creepy look.
1: So this is the main, you know, thesis. Of, well, like there's two, a bunch of things that we want to discuss, but yeah, the the fans were not happy with this trailer because. And the
0: same happened with that movie Cats.
1: Yes, and the movie. So Sonic was designed in by someone. I've been look, trying to track down who is the character art designer, but regardless, it was me. yeah, <laughs> Sonic. For some reason, they decided to make Sonic look like a, a teenage boy with hair. Because <laughs> so, the
0: story is about him being a teenager.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so his yeah. te- they added like human teeth. They In the Sonic character, if you play the video games, the eyes are actually joined. And the original character art designer for Sonic was really upset by the trailer as well. In fact, he went out publicly and said, this is a disgrace to Sonic. Because the eyes, they made them tiny, like human eyes. <laughs> they separated them. <laughs> And they, like Sonic wears white gloves, which is kind of an a, again an animation uh, gesture. And if you think of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Disney and Mickey Mouse wearing white gloves, is this like the symbol that carries uh, animated characters, which, which all was the way created
0: back. for practical reasons at the time. But, uh...
1: Was it? Just it,
0: it, well, it was part from vaudeville, I think, and part it was easier to draw a non-realistic character with just four fingers instead of five and not making the hand too realistic and not having to paint the hand to a certain color. So the, all those, I've always been interested in, in early video games and early animation that there are these practical decisions that are also uh, a need for abstraction. So that's what I mean with the early video game consoles, that the characters the artistry, the imagination of the pixel artist was really, there's all these inventions to create illusions. And, mm-hmm. and so you see things like white gloves or that the shape is squarish or roundish just because it works better in that technology or in that frame rate. And that creates a new visual language. And the same with the early internet, uh, with the mm-hmm. Cities that you have very limited tools and you come up with a completely new aesthetic as opposed to when you have all the tools and everything and you just try to make things realistic. Yeah.
1: And I, I guess it was also kind of, you mentioned a minstrel reference or a vaudeville reference. Um, so there's a bit of racism tinged inside of, uh, inside of it. Right. Like, cause there was like the original Mickey mouse was a play on a black faced minstrel, right. Or white faced. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
1: a white faced character, a black person playing a white person. Anyway. So, we won't get won't get into <clears throat> that whole racial history but um, it is interesting that like they omitted some of these cues that would like tie back to the um, the original video game art out of well maybe a necessity maybe to, just to make it more back somehow. even
0: further that the originally when they were making frescoes in Italy in the ancient times or in, I don't, in the Renaissance times the idea of the cartoon was that you would draw the fresco on cardboard, and the Italian word for cardboard is cartoon. So it was the outline, and it was a simple diagram. So that's basically, when you say something is cartoony, it's more, it's diagrammatic, and in a Mm. way, it's going to an essence. And then maybe what I'm trying to say is, when they released that first trailer, they went too far away from the cartoon, so they went too far away from the soul, or the diagram, or the essence.
1: That's an incredible reference, though. And one of the things that was called out really early on was, the legs and arms—they added, they added um, joints and muscles and like definition to. <laughs> I'm laughing legs, like calf muscles and knees and joints were really distracting because now so- Sonic was like, you know, kind of. Yeah, entering... it's not the essence. The, yeah. the
0: essence is he's a, he's a ball. He's, yeah, he, a ball with noodle,
1: noodle arms and legs, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but literally in in the game, he would always roll up into a ball and then he would go even faster. So, whatever you add to him is not his essence.
1: And he also had these um, you know, characteristics that we assigned um, to um, cartoons of like larger eyes to make them more endearing, the same way like babies and you know, baby animals and things like that are more lovable. Yeah, they, you and know. To make by, them
0: more expressive.
1: Make the exactly. Like even um when they did the you know, the original Sonic, his for some reason his his brow wasn't very expressive. Like he had this like really <laughs> His face was like, just really flat, like it had had Botox or something. And he could, yeah, and his eyes, you know, just had subtle movements. And I guess what what you get into is this discussion about the Uncanny Valley. And he was, and for those who aren't familiar with the Uncanny Valley, I think most people are, but it's this concept um, that this guy Masahiro Mori introduced in the 1970s that, and he was a, a professor in Tokyo, which is ironic, actually, um, the ob- like it's this observation that as robots appear more human-like, they become more appealing, but only up to a certain point. And I think you could say the same thing of animated characters, as they become yeah. more human, it's up until a certain point of relatability, and then after that.
0: I think wasn't it Samsung just released a software to create really realistic artificial human faces? Yeah, with yes. some other company, and and it's just slightly off, and it's so creepy and. I think Apple copied uh, I don't know who they copied with Memoji. Do you know? Cuz it it existed before, but they were pretty smart in making everybody cartoony and that that's a much more well Memoji, relatable yeah, avatar. Uh,
1: Apple's Memoji which may, turns you into a baby basically is is really yeah. very similar to um the bit like the um what's the
0: the uh, the one that the vector based uh, avatars that, that it's a bitmoji Canadian company? yeah Bitmoji, yeah. which
1: is like snap um who makes snapchat bought that company and then if you're represented but they're on based snapchat, in toronto yeah they are based here and actually they're yeah. an interesting company because they employ more illustrators i think than any other company in in canada <laughs> yeah. um,
0: i mean they they they're, generate
1: they're, so they're amazing yeah yeah so bitmoji yeah um Manage to maintain this difference from reality, like you don't want yourself. But that
0: all goes back to the, you know, the Venus von Willendorf that statue.
1: Yes. Yeah. Talk about. Yeah, it.
0: and that, that that's it in, in art history classes. They teach you that it's it's not reality we're looking for. We're looking for caricature. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So I think like um, I don't know. It's if you if you if you've played it all with um, either generating an image of a character or. Even mo- modifying your own image uh, using like Raphael, we're talking about snap, uh, Snapchat filters uh, or Instagram fil- like face filters just before this call. Zoom filters, yeah. and I've been yeah, I've been on Zoom calls all week, and I've been wearing different filters as, like, it's my f- dream come true, to be honest with you. It's, like, zo- like augmented reality fashion is, like, <laughs> The world here. is finally coming to, yeah. to you, instead yeah. <laughs> of the other way around. Yeah. And, you know, some people in meetings are appearing like pickles or potatoes, and we're in this, like, place where we're actually playing know, with our I, own identities. I think Christina
0: had a meeting with someone where um, the client is a bit older and for some reason the head was a potato and they couldn't get but it was a really serious topic and they just couldn't get the potato to go
1: I actually keep thinking this because like I'll try and choose my filter based on like the tone that I want to set in the day and like you know we had a hard week this week and I was wearing like a, a like rainbow over my head with dark clouds and stuff but um yeah you can very easily get into this place especially if there's, there's one where you swap your gender you, or where it's uncomfortable Did you uncomfortable. ever manage
0: to read Infinite Jest
1: uh, oh, yes. No, I have not read Infinite but Just, but tell us about it.
0: The David Foster Wallace mm-hmm. mega novel. Uh, it's like the 1,200 pages or something ridiculous, and it's postmodern, so you're really confused when you're reading it. And uh, So I read parts of it, and one part stuck with me where uh, everyone had been using video calling, and he wrote this in the mid-90s. And there was all this uh, beauty enhancement software. And so people became really reluctant to meet in real life because they all had this perfect version of themselves. Uh, and they became really shy in real life. So it uh, yeah. was kind of prescient.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly the, like, I. here's the thing. I think we're going to get so comfortable with work from home that meeting each other in person we're going like dear god what happened to you <laughs> it's like <laughs> when <that> HD, smell? <laughs> yeah it's like when hd uh, video arrived and everyone was like afraid to uh, be on camera but um
0: back to to sonic i think sonic, uh, yeah. one of the 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 problems of uh, uh, of movies after video games is that video games a lot of them are just about interaction and not so much about a story arc
1: yeah, but I, I the, before we move on to the actual story arc um, and video, like, cause yeah, what is the material that they could even make a film from in this? I just want to like you know make one you know small extension of what we were talking about earlier, which is that so this terrible Sonic character is seen in trailers and fans are like making memes about it. They're joking about it.
0: Um, yeah that is really uh, uh, that's really new that fans can respond to a movie and influence the movie.
1: Yeah and when you say influence what ended up happening is the studio and by the way the movie got handed from Sony Picture Studios to Paramount Studios but Paramount was like <laughs> oh my Thank god okay we yeah exactly we're <laughs> going to have to make this right and they actually redesigned the character from scratch. And they brought on... But the same
0: thing happened to Cats. Uh, they, they, they released the trailer and people thought the CG was creepy. Yeah, but never and it never got better, did <laughs> they, they, they Yeah. So in, in both cases, fans respond to a trailer and the movie gets changed.
1: Yeah. But what's interesting, I think, is like, I don't know, I work in software. So the idea of a redesign of a movie... Like, how often have we seen that in history? Yeah, that a
0: movie is malleable, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the only reason it's malleable is because the character itself is a software, right? Like, it's generally Well, that's back
0: to that that, uh, Francis Ford Coppola said that when CG arrived, the filmmaking went from a photographic medium to a painterly medium.
1: Oh, right, yeah. And suddenly, like... I mean, of course we've heard of re-edits or when people die on set, you know... um, Like Blade Runner? Yeah, where they'll have to, like... Or they'll add, like, you know, a CG clip to just, like, make the narrative work or whatever, um, because someone, something's happened well, to someone.
0: In the case of Blade Runner, uh, it was so new, the paradigm of the, the, the dirty dystopian sci-fi. Before that, the sci-fi movies were all very light-colored and perfect. Um, so there was this dirty, grimy future, and people were very confused about the storyline and the idea of who's an android, who's not, was very confusing to people. It was very new. Because before that, people were in uh, silver spacesuits and robots, and yeah. that was sci-fi. Yeah, So it was so confusing that the studio decided, after a few screenings, like, oh, we're going to add a voiceover. So Harrison Ford recorded a voiceover to make the story more clear to people, and it kind of made the movie too obvious. And now that we're used to so many generations of Android movies and dystopian future we can digest it a lot better. And so they made the movie back to more of the original vision. Yeah. So th- that's one example of a malleable movie and where the audience uh, was educated over the course of a few decades and that they caught up with the original intent.
1: Well, that's the other thing. Like I've been thinking about since I watched this movie, which is like, what if they hadn't redesigned Sonic? Like what if they had <laughs> kept the original?
0: <laughs> Cause you famously- just want to go as cringy as possible.
1: <laughs> just, like what? Were, what was their intent there to make Sonic more relatable to children? As if like you are just well, well this movie is
0: about teenage rebellion.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is, and you it's know. about and it's about it's a coming of age story about you know feeling alone and then finding your first friend and there's a lot of charming you know kind of elements to the the premise of the film. But I just think it's interesting I, to consider. Can I tell
0: you how I felt when I watched the movie?
1: Like, you're like, why did Jeremy do this? <laughs>
0: I just kept hearing you laughing behind me. It's like I just—it's like yeah, I made you spend twenty bucks, <laughs> and we both spent twenty dollars on this movie. And I thought, so there's a there's a formal technological side to it that uh, audience reception changed the way the movie was made. Uh, the idea of early video games and how do you—that's all fine and dandy, but it also gave you this feeling of being on a really long flight to Australia and. You go through the menu, and it's like, okay, I'll watch the X-Men. I don't really want to watch it, but I guess I'll do it. Okay, but, but here's... And then, the, and then, like, the last four hours, like, I'm so bored. I guess I'll watch Sonic.
1: This is... What you're watching, though, is a celebration of, like, 10 years of... Or 25 years of history. <laughs> the other thing I didn't even mention is prior to the, the creepy trailer, there had been years of memes and fan art stuff online, including, like... We didn't even talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Maybe like we could just take a moment. <laughs> so back in 2010, um, like a, a young uh, a young teenager, we're talking about teenagers, or I don't know how old the kid was, but uploaded a video to YouTube of a tutorial for how to draw Sonic, but <laughs> for to Sonic as Sonic, <laughs> and it's like a really there must be bad a lot of
0: Sonic cake feels too.
1: And It is just a really bad rendition of Sonic, <laughs> and it like it like it's like as if a, a four year or four year old or five year old drew Sonic the Hedgehog. It's like the arms are sideways, like the the face is all distorted. It's just like if you see this image, it's just like laugh out loud funny, and it's been parodied so much. Um, and I feel bad for it, but in the history of of uh, online video there's you know a lot of stuff like star wars kid that you know from the very early on the, obviously bullying and comedy are wrapped inside of every meme in and some
0: way some of these memes have led to suicides so.
1: yeah and so i don't want to make i don't want to make light of that too much except to say that like there was you know the trailer being so far off base from the original character was almost like a celebration. And this is where I think the intent of the movie has been mm. lost by the redesign. The intent was actually, here's my my belief, is the intent was, it was meant to disrupt the formula that irritates you so much, Raphael, and to be like, yeah. almost like a cultural moment for diy aesthetics within <laughs> that yeah. with me, within the, the, within this this construct anyway that's my that's the point i wanted it's to this,
0: make it's the type of thing that i agree with if you say it but then when you see the movie <laughs> it doesn't matter and the the thing that struck me is that the the voice actor for sonic was a very uninteresting voice i don't think it was funny ever mm-hmm. i th- I think all the other characters except Jim Carrey were just very average people and not very charismatic. The, the, the guy who's the cop or the sheriff, uh, he also played in Westworld, which I thought was a very mediocre show. And he was one of the most mediocre characters in Westworld. Um, so it was just full of like a two day old white bread with uh, like, like an airplane sandwich. Like that's how the movie felt.
1: Yeah, that's James Marzen, uh Marsden that you're yeah. referring to. Yes, but then Jim-
0: so uncharismatic and unmemorable. Like you will never remember him.
1: Um well, you also like the Sonic is actually voiced by Ben Schwartz. You might remember from Parks and Rec or actually not that many. Yeah, night. I didn't watch that. But
0: yeah. uh, uh, I, 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 another thing about the trailer is that every good joke in the movie is in the trailer.
1: Um every what? Every, every, every good, good joke, like every remark
0: uh, that, that there's a scene where um, Jim Carrey arrives and there's a army general and he's like, who's in charge here? I mm-hmm. am. And he says it in a very snappy, funny way. Mm-hmm. That was the highlight of the movie, I think. Uh, but that was the whole scene was in the trailer.
1: Yeah. OK, so you're, you're talking about Jim Carrey, obviously, and his performance. And this is kind of interesting. It's worth discussing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on, you think. Uh, but like the, the so first of all though the movie gets a pot like a, a it's a, it's not rotten on Rotten Tomatoes it's actually get, it gets sixty four percent of Rotten Tomatoes which by the way was a huge surprise you know to everyone and I think you have to put it within the realm of. Family-friendly movies. Now, once we put yeah, it in that realm... I mean, room. this
0: is not the worst movie of all time, you know, it's, it, it, it as far as these movies go. It's not that terrible, but...
1: Uh, and actually, Jim Carrey's performance, I think, is considered a highlight
2: <laughs> of yeah. his entire no, filmography. I'm, I'm, I'm not...
0: Well, I don't agree there, but I, I, I do think he brings a lot of life and charisma to the movie. Like he, he definitely has a screen presence, but yeah. my critique is that all the bits of him that are interesting were already in the trailer. So that that's why I would not recommend anyone spending 20 bucks right now on this movie. But
1: maybe people don't know how relevant the tension of Sonic the Hedgehog, the original um, like source material, is, which is it's about really this guy, Dr. Robotnik, and Sonic... Um, and their conflict, and Doctor Robotnik like wants to transform nature into technology. Like he believes in technology more than nature. And so, <laughs> bear with me. And so he's like he's really emblematic of this kind of like um, evil genius technologist that you don't um, necessarily see that often. And it's it's weird that this like dates back to the 1980s out of, out of coming out of Japan because um technology would have been something that was celebrated right like in that culture and you know if you think about um like yeah the it me- reminds me
0: of the the transformers they had all these planets that were covered in city like the, the whole planet was a city
1: yeah and i guess it's like you know that kind of um that like silent spring fear that technology is representative of in- industry and industry will overtake nature and we'll be left with this like barren wasteland that is emblematic of Blade Runner, which you mentioned. But that narrative, like you said, wasn't that common when, when Sonic uh, first came out, but we all played it as children. And in this movie, it's so obvious that that's like Elon Musk or whomever, right? That's like, you know, so egocentric and believes in technology and their genius and their power over technology. Technology
0: will solve everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> technology will not only solve everything, allow me allow me greater power. It empowers me to be like a super villain. Similar to That's like... That's
0: really where Facebook is at, where they're like, hey, you guys are doing really bad stuff. It's like, yeah, but we need to be as big as possible to fight China.
1: Yeah, and again, like I don't, regardless of the plot, that archetype, I think now is like a really, it's really interesting to see that that's a well-established archetype that just so yeah. happens, like it, Sonic. It's also
0: in the movie, he's like, I never had friends, I don't relate to people, I like machines, they do what I tell them, mm-hmm. they don't get tired.
1: So basically, they're taking the unicorn engineer, the you know, the, the, the <laughs> person that every startup is based on, like your, 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 your Zuckerbergs, your Elons, your Steve Jobs, and they're saying, this is the villain of our generation. And I just think that for children growing up today watching this movie as a family-friendly movie, they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the CEO of a technology company, evil, right? And they even yeah. say, like, the, the government... oil tycoon. Yeah, and, like, how did this? they introduce the character?
0: It's like there's it an was FBI meeting. always the Bond meeting. villains were, were also industrialists.
1: That's true. Like, they would invent some kind of a laser-cutting device. That ex Machina. <laughs> Star, Star Wars.
0: Sort of evil CEO. Yeah.
1: Star Wars the Death Star, I think, is a good example where it's, like, the technology but, to destroy a planet.
0: I, I think, you know, the, this movie's fine and the, it's like maybe a little bit better than 50% if you have to watch it on an airplane and whatever, mm-hmm. and your kids might enjoy it. And But I kept thinking about the, all these layers of irony that mm-hmm. uh, I kept uh, thinking of at some point, uh, the Whitney Museum was still in the uptown in their old building and they hosted a retrospective of Jeff Koons. Yeah. And. Ellsworth Kelly wrote a long letter uh, that that this is really terrible that these levels of irony are uh <laughs> there's no sincerity in the work and yeah. that the museum has sunk to that level yeah and so maybe at first there was Dada and then there was pop art and there's all these levels of irony but I think in our generation it's it's really weird to get up on a stage and say like I feel sad and hurt and it's a quote uh, Greek tragedy or well, that's I think what, yeah. our generation is, is more like, oh, my sincere feelings are in Pikachu and in Sonic and et um, this I, I can't formulate it yet, but I feel like there's just a, a lowering the bar of intellectual gestures that starts at, at the academic and artistic class and then goes down to People believing 5G causes coronavirus, and that there's just like a dumbing down of everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, the, there are folks from Deadpool. In the uh, have you seen that movie in, involved in this in this film? Like, if you've if no, you, but if Deadpool
0: you, is a good example where the, 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 all the Marvel movies are so bland that if one is slightly naughty, we're like, wow, this is a great film. But if you mm-hmm. compare it to all the things it's referencing, it's really a, also a dumbed down version.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I bring it up just because, like that—that that irony um, is baked into that film as, like, um, as um like a, a, that's what contemporary filmmaking is. It's what we were talking about earlier with YouTube, which is like you have to make fun of a film to make it acceptable. <laughs> to like, you, yeah. you have to, you yeah. know, um, the jokes are all about the f- act of making films themselves. And you're right; it's reached this point of climax where now children are in on that joke to such a degree that you're watching the film and you're like, wait a second, like, is there anything sincere about this? And then the funny thing about the movie is that it's about friendship and it's a buddy movie. <laughs> it's like, uh, like it's a buddy cop film, which is like, goes back to Die Hard and all of these movies, right? And it's a very male centric movie. I don't know if young, typically like those who might identify um, gender at a young age, like whether it's targeted towards boys or girls probably is, you know, problematic for me to say, but it does yeah, the, seem like- the
0: Lego movie was more- uh Diverse in that sense, that there were female heroes.
1: Yeah, this it definitely seems like it's specifically normative, and it's sort of celebration of malehood and like teenage men getting together. Yeah. They go to a it bar together me. and have a fight together. Yeah. You know, like there's there's weird also stuff these like that. things
0: like the the concept of the bucket list, and then the concept of the beautiful home and the small town being the place of happiness, and then there's ambition, and that gets in the way of happiness, and there's a lot of assumptions that I think this is the thing this is why I think it's. I an think interesting these movie. assumptions are really to a lot of people they, they really do damage they're like if I if I don't uh if I don't live up to this ideal of the bucket list and the big house and the, and if I don't feel at home there, I'm not a good person. You got
1: to explain though. So in the movie, like what drives the narrative ends up being that Sonic feels alone. He doesn't have any friends cause he has to hide from humans. For some reason, he really loves humans, by the way, we didn't mention that. So he really, it's like a Pinocchio story. He really wishes he could be a real boy. And then like in, 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 the, in a, in a, in sort of like a, a set of consequences. Um, you know, the main actor who's a sheriff um, can, can in town. Can we zoom back,
0: uh, uh, yeah, yeah. skip back a little bit? So much the movie to discuss, Raphael. <laughs> yeah, the movie starts, he's on another planet. And yeah. There's an owl that is sort of his mother. <laughs> he has these superpowers, and these people yeah. want to capture him to take advantage of his powers, maybe dissect him and, and take his essence. And so the mother throws a ring in the sky, and the ring is a portal to Earth, and he falls on Earth, and she says, never reveal yourself, because people will take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. So... That whole movie is already so many weird assumptions. Like, <laughs> solve problems with violence, uh, death in the beginning. The same like with. Ba- I've been watching a lot of Ozu films. Of, uh, this old Japanese director, and a lot of non-Western films. You see how violent Western films are, and how mm-hmm. conflict is the, violence is always the answer to a conflict.
1: But a great writer once told me, "You can't have a story without conflict," which is like a pretty. Well, that's a Western idea.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's baked into most of the Hero's Journey films we watch. But regardless, so... He ends up teleporting to Earth and where he he kind of hides in silence. Um,
0: He's the fastest entity on the whole planet, but he has to control himself because if he, he goes too fast, then people will notice and uh, there will be disturbances in the electric grid and all that kind of stuff.
2: But he
1: really admires this sheriff who is like his buddy in the, throughout the film. The Donut Lord. The Donut Lord, yeah. And he, he, this Donut Lord ends up accidentally shooting him, thinking he was a raccoon with a tranquilizer gun. And then that's how their buddy kind of story begins, because there's another really kind of interesting device in the film, which is Sonic's rings from the video game end up becoming teleportation devices in this film. So if he thinks of a place he wants to go and throws his, one of his rings, this is how he got to Earth. This is also how he can like get to other worlds yeah, any, anywhere. He we-
0: actually has to take the, the real plan was that he would go to the boring mushroom planet where there's no people he yes. would be safest there, but he doesn't he he loves people so much, so he there's this conflict I know I should go to the mushroom planet, but all my friends are here, even though they don't know who I am yeah.
1: And so, you I don't know. know. This,
0: this, this review must be pretty confusing for people. <laughs> the <This laughs> story, really story doesn't matter. It's
1: just a simple story, Raphael. How come you can't yeah. tell? Anyway, they, they end up on the run together and they're running from Dr. Robotnik, as we said earlier. So that's basically the premise of the movie. But the way the and movie revolves. And he's results, a bit of a
0: teenager where he's like, the, the classic thing is like, okay, I'm going to find a solution. Stay in the car. Don't go out of the car. Yeah. And the first thing Sonic does is get out of the car.
1: Sure. I, I don't want to so much talk about like, you know, the various. Uh, plot twists on their journey to... Um, by the way, he's trying to get his rings back because he accidentally, when he was shot with a tranquilizer gun, drops his rings while thinking about San Francisco into a portal that leads to the top of the... Tri- the is it the tribe? What's that? Um, the tower in, in San Francisco, the pyramid-like yeah. one. And the thing tribe- that
0: bothered me so much in the movie is they, they reach San Francisco and they're in someone's home and the home is huge. <laughs> the most beautiful big house. And if you know the, the current state of housing in San Francisco, it's... Yeah. It's sick.
1: Okay, yeah, there's a lot of misrepresentation. But one thing I think is interesting just that carries this plot along and the premise of the plot in the first place that gets them to San Francisco is the concept of the ring as a portal. and there is a seri- there is a sequence, a battle sequence that I think is actually kind of beautiful in terms of uh, its cultural relevance to our generation. And if you're a child watching this, which is through his, like he cannot Robotnik um, harnesses Sonic's power because he gets one of Sonic's hairs. <laughs> It's true. Every time I describe a part of this movie, like, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> anyway, each hair is like super powerful. And the whole reason like, um robotnik even exists on the scene is because sonic had like a like a teenage temper tantrum and caused an emp electromagnetic pulse that went throughout the world (laughs) and shut down the power of the entire world and so the american government's like we gotta stop the united states
0: government and military were like what happened here and the uh, the the commander-in-chief of the military says well we have to call this guy and everybody's like no not that guy he's he's just trouble
1: He's a crazy, crazy scientist, mad scientist, crazy
0: genius, crazy yeah. genius.
1: <clears throat> anyway, so um, Jim Carrey, who's who plays Doctor Robotnik, Professor Robotnik, actually ends up with one of these hairs and then uses it to make his technology better, and so he can go move as fast as Sonic. And this is like a this is a big tension in the in the plot. This is what like you know, causes Sonic to have a real crisis because he's yeah. no longer and everything superior. everything
0: Dr. Robotnik does is colored black with red highlights. So whenever he shoots lasers or he's using his radar, everything's red. Red and versus everything blue. everything Sonic does is blue. Yeah.
1: Red versus blue. This is like Democrats versus Republicans. It's an amazing analogy. It's like my
0: game Finger Battle. It's red versus <laughs> blue. Yeah.
1: But then the the best part is they use the rings as these teleportation devices that allow them, like, there's this one sequence, I think it's pretty beautiful, Raf, and you have to probably admit it, where they're running after each other through different parts of the world by throwing rings up. They go to France, they go to Egypt, they come back to the small town, they go to San Francisco. And so in the course of, like, 30 seconds to a minute and a half, maybe, they, they like, travel the entire world and universe um, through these rings. And I think it's just very interesting because, like, Think about how fast that's happening, and if you're a kid watching this, well, yeah, spatially, the whole
0: game was about speed. Yeah, so yeah. that was an interesting challenge.
1: And, and anyway, I just thought I admired that they put that sequence together, and that it made and it finally it made sense. I know it sounds like it's a minor thing in terms of the history of movie making, but the fact that they like traversed uh, through these rings and that this was probably like. The best representation of internet surfing I've ever seen in a live action movie. Hmm. Um, Uh, You
0: have a point there, there, because there's so many people who've who've tried to make artwork about the the information superhighway. People have tried to capture that in in installation form or performance or in music. And this idea of overwhelming access to information and all human knowledge combined at once. And uh, this was one approach.
1: Yeah, Sonic did it with just with yeah. a bag of rings. Anyway, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so I, that's kind of the point I wanted to get out. That I thought that was an interesting. There were a lot of the, like these kind of interesting moments where they they made a contemporary um, movie within a boring plot. I get it, um, but it was it definitely seemed contemporary, which is odd because it's a 1980s character and premise, but it seemed very relatable. What,
0: what did you think of Jim Carrey in the movie?
1: So Jim Carrey played like I think it's worth, I, I imagine
0: yeah. that you're a fan of Jim Carrey's
1: i am a sort of but not like I, I felt like less and less of a fan like i think he's um you know his like his original style of comedy if you like for me it was when i saw the mask i remember thinking this is crazy like is he is like he is the f- he had like a rubber face basically but I,
0: I, yeah i don't but, mean literally but it is he was very well known for just having the most exaggerated facial expression.
1: And I think specifically The Mask is a cultural moment in history where Jim Carrey blends CGI with actual performance yeah. is on another level of like... And a it, lot
0: of cartoon... Tro- well, the the, the the whole thing in the movie, and The Mask, is he's a guy that doesn't really want to grow up and he's addicted to cartoons as if he's an eight-year-old.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, so, so again casting Jim Carrey in a movie where they're trying to bring a video game character into the real world where it, you know, is like, I thought just like a really great choice. Um, and that Jim Carrey is representative of, he's like the post internet art of human beings. Like, <laughs> uh, for like, I don't know who is more recently representative of that, but like, you know, maybe it's the guy that plays all the animated characters. What's his name? Um, you know, that plays the planet of the apes guy.
0: Um, oh yeah, the, the, the he plays Gollum uh, or the, yeah. the character on Lord of the Rings, and
1: we know who he is, but we can't remember his name. <laughs> Andrew Serkin, <laughs> yes, Circus, Andrew Circus, Circus. Yeah, um, such an easy name to remember. I don't know why I forgot. Anyway, so I think, but he doesn't ever appear as himself, um, and so Jim Carrey, I think, is like just an interesting character to think about in that context, where he blurs both um, CGI and performance in such a manner that
0: well, he brings the energy, yeah, That's for sure. And then, as far as that's what I mean with bland, that that all the other human actors in this film are just very forgettable. Yeah, like you're never going to remember. Like, oh, that person was so interesting. I'm curious what their next movie will be.
1: In fact, you know, I think like um, you know, the lead character, like uh, Lord of Donuts, has a a wife, uh, and she's like in the movie, but like, and it's almost like she's just there to add um, diversity. So you could be critical of this being a mostly white male movie, and then they added like this black female. Yeah, white. they
0: had to check, check the mark, but they didn't really <clears> do it in an interesting way.
1: No, because she's like really one-dimensional. She just exists to like help out near the end of the movie. Uh, anyway, it's like, it, that's pretty bad. There's like a lot of bad things about the movie, don't get me wrong. Like it's super normative. Um So I, I'm not like celebrating the movie for it's like, you know, being avant-garde in any manner. <laughs> but <laughs> I think just in terms of looking at it as like um, a cultural touchstone. Well, I agree
0: that, I agree that looking at movies from the, the sort of technical CG perspective and seeing how can we – if you think of something like abstract expressionism and like how can you represent movement in painting, that, that's an interesting thing to observe and then to see the different attempts and then to start ranking them and say, like, okay, this person did it well, that person explored that part, that person – and so you could look at CG in the same way and think of – I don't know if you remember that movie The Abyss – and mm-hmm, Of was course, kind yeah. of a, a break—a breakthrough in CG, and uh, there are all these stages of CG, and so you could look at movies that way uh, for sure. Like you could just disregard the story and say, but I do think in a movie like Terminator Part Two, where the CG and the mm-hmm. story uh, blended really well, and, and um, one of the things I liked about early CG, the same with Toy Story, is that they couldn't do fur. And so they decided, okay, let's do shiny yeah. toys because we can't make it unshiny. It's really hard in three D to make things not yeah. look shiny. And yep. the same thing with Terminator is like, oh, we'll make him a, a a liquid metal blob because that's easy to render.
1: Well, it, not only that, it's also like, you know, yeah, it it separates the real from the unreal. And I think it's similar to twenty four frames per second, where you're not, you don't have to second guess that this is reality, right? Um, yeah. I think one of the, it's like 60 frames per second always disturbs you because it's similar to that Uncanny Valley thing where you're slightly closer. You're, it's not quite reality, but it's close enough that it makes you uncomfortable.
0: Well, that's also a thing that uh, what you're accustomed to. So if you see a video game at 24 frames a second, you think there's something wrong with the computer. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see a movie at 60 frames or 120 frames, you think there's something wrong with the TV and you have to change some settings. So it, it's how you've been a condition to accept something as a movie.
1: Well, it's funny because when I was a a kid, I had a a best friend and he really wanted to become a computer animator because CG was like just starting up and he had this dream he would share with me all the time. You know, like teenage dreams where you like share like, this is what I think it's going to be like in the future and I want to get ahead of the curve. And his was like, he would give presentations on this in class all the time. He's like, look, we're at the birth of this new era where people are going to be, um, you know, we're not going to have actors anymore. Like movies are going to be all digital actors. And, you know, this is what it's going to allow us to do. And it's funny, fast forward like 30 years later. And what we've decided is actually, no, we don't want that. What we want is, you know, like you said, we want the um, cartoon version of reality in a movie and when if you get too close to the real thing it's gonna it makes us very uncomfortable and that doesn't what seem to it, be changing there was
0: the final fantasy movie that was kind of a breakthrough and i remember reading articles that it it took them uh, a week to render each frame of, uh, of the main character's hairdo and uh, yeah it, there were so many strands of hair
1: Every video game console that comes out, they do a demo of like an old person crying, you know, like (laughs) that's what they consider humanity and like realism. And the searching out realism is really, you mentioned painting history several times throughout this podcast, but it's really the search for that kind of like pre-photography version of painting of realism, right? And but then what we what you know painting history uncovered was actually that's not what anyone is seeking at all you know they're seeking an escape from reality and so let's pres- Yeah, I think and someone
0: framed that as, as the tension between the mark and the image
1: yeah 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 and also they're seeking something greater than reality which is emotional um or psychological or in some ways deviates maybe from this, what we already know maybe this this
0: goes back to to the latest SNL where uh, the tools are so pared down, and they really have to relearn it. And what's the essence of the joke?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, is, what are the formal parameters of telling a joke, right? Like, what does it mean? Yeah. And it's, is it really, you know, um, is it really about well, the audience? Well, it's almost be,
0: because there's no live audience. That's usually the cue where you get to release the tension, and then you never get that cue.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, other people talk about how comedy is actually closer to tragedy than we really um, comprehend. Have you?
0: There's a famous YouTube of uh, the Big Bang Theory, that sitcom. Oh, yeah. They released one scene without a laugh track, and it just yeah. seems very sad.
1: Yeah. Well, I think yeah. what, what we're getting down to is, like, Artifice um, ultimately, you know, it, there are formal aspects to it that support, um, you know, whatever content is there, right? And, like... The formal uh, exploration of that artifice ends up being, I think, anyway, that's why I chose this movie, like, just as relevant. But do you
0: do you ever worry that uh, the, the the general intellectual level of people is, is not challenged and is, is further simplified to, it, they have to make movies for so much money now that they have to appeal to people from, that's always what they say, from age eight to 88, or like. I remember yeah. the Monopoly board game said something like you can play this from age 8 to 88. And so once you start doing that even like bad action movies from the or, or cheesy action movies from the 80s were a little bit more spicy or mm-hmm. like a, they had a little bit more of an edge and like you start removing all the flavor from it, it, it the only way for me to explain it is food and it's just like you just remove all the nutrients and you remove everything and you just get left over with something that kind of tastes good, but you, you're hungry 10 seconds later.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um, at the end of the day, you know, this is a family movie. And the problem with, you know, family movies, obviously, is that no no mother or father or, you know, parent wants to... Have to have a difficult conversation after the movie about what it meant. No, instance. but
0: I I don't think you ha- have to see it that it has to be tragic. But mm-hmm. I think um, a good family movie, like maybe even the the original Lion King or the original Snow White. Uh, I mean, it's easy to, to just put in a masterpiece and say the history was better. But but like when you know, parents have taken kids
1: to Bambi. Remember when D- Disney released Bambi in theaters? Apparently, yeah. it was like a disaster because children were so traumatized by the death. Of the mother, right? So it's like, um,
0: yeah, but I guess the Disney company survived after that.
1: Well, I mean, it would be great if in halfway through this movie, Sonic just lay dead, right? Like, he dies several times in a movie, and they could have just. <laughs>
0: well the movie did start with his mother dying but they didn't create a bond so you're like okay whatever yeah
1: yeah yeah moving on and his so his mother is an owl no it's more of his caretaker I guess (laughs) yeah they don't really ever fully explain who those creatures were either but anyway they do at the end of the movie open it up to a sequel and this is like what I thought was hilarious about the film one can hope because this film was generally cast aside as like this is going to be a disaster. The fact that it actually got to the point where <laughs> so celebrated, there might be a sequel, and there's like several Easter egg reveals like past the credits. <laughs> like, yeah, but there's, there's been actually a bunch two. of movies
0: where they sort of announce the sequel in, in the end of the movie, and then there's no sequel because it was. But I, I I read the statistics that this movie cost ninety five million to make, <laughs> and it brought in three hundred and twenty so far. Really, it's already brought Even, in that much money. Yeah even with the, the the current crisis and movie theaters being closed it well, brought it took in four, that much 4 so.
1: years to make this movie it's like a ma- that's why i call it a masterpiece it's a, you know it's like did the did the, <laughs> did, the did the fresco <laughs> take 4
0: years <laughs> so i don't think this movie is that bad that it will forever be an example of like the worst movie but it's always interesting to me when you're on a bad movie and everyone knows it and you're like, yeah, let's just get this done. Uh, I did I, read I one going. bit of
1: analysis was that this movie was basically occupying all of the like criticism online up until the release of the Cats trailer. And, then, <laughs> and like the Cats trailer came out and Sonic was given this like, okay, now's our time. Let's go, 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 people. <laughs>
0: let's did you watch out. Cats?
1: no and i I don't know whether we should announce that we're gonna watch that or not (laughs) i i begged at christmas uh i was with Kristen's family i begged that that was the movie we should go see as like our holiday
0: movie but no one would go with it so um, did you see it It, no i i'm not gonna but i i'm curious because i'm always suggesting movies and then Kristen is like what i don't want to see that so i'm curious if i can we can come up with a movie that Kristen...
1: But I heard that Christina... So, Kristen is my Christina partner. Christina loved this movie, by the way. She yeah. did, yeah. Well, what's her review? Yeah. That's a
0: <laughs> well, she just enjoyed it, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. See? Like, it, it was funny because Kristen was talking to her mom, and, and I was watching Sonic, and she's like, why aren't you watching with it or Her or with him? It's It sounds great. And uh, <laughs> she's like, no, Mom, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> but I've and
0: noticed I, that... The, 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 the movies that you suggest, Kristen doesn't like, and the movies that I suggest, Kristen doesn't like either. So, yeah, Kristen only
1: uh, likes a very narrow slice of um, oh, okay. of, of culture. Because like.
0: I, I, I love watching movies together, but I noticed we have me and Christine have such a different movie taste. So I'm I'm at peace with uh, like one is on the iPad and one is on the TV, or and we're just sitting next to each other, and that's okay.
1: Well, Kristen wants to watch um, Emma, which we already watched. She would love for us to review something like that. But anything period-based, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine you wanting to watch. Uh, though Emma is actually legitimately good if we wanted to watch that. I think
0: okay. probably, though... Well, uh, would, next you want week, to, I wanted, to, yeah, I wanted you, to announce a specific movie, but after that, you can suggest something.
1: Okay, uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you want to... Oh, maybe I'll ask Kristen for her pick for the next movie. But what's your, your pick yeah. for next week?
0: My pick is uh, Tokyo Ga. It's a movie by Wim Wenders uh it's he goes to tokyo sort of in search of his hero is this filmmaker ozu Mm -hmm. and he interviews one of the actors and he interviews a cameraman but he also it's a travel diary so he goes through tokyo and observes different parts of their culture and um, rituals and it it sounds kind of bland but it's, it's one of my favorite movies and i think it's a nice introduction to the work of Ozu but it's also just a portrait of Tokyo in 1983. And explain and for our audience
1: if it's a documentary or is it a narrative like It's it's need-
0: a documentary. It's a well it's a travel diary so it's if you've seen Werner Herzog's dec- documentaries where he does the voiceover mm-hmm. this is the gentle version of that where he is not seeking for uh the pain of humanity but he's just looking for everyday moments and then also speaking over it but he's not Going like this is a vile, disgusting pit of terror. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But Vim Wenders makes obviously non uh, different, like makes traditional narrative films as well, the, many yeah, of th- yeah. which are my favorite films. Um, so this should oh, be I'm like.
0: Surprised. i surprised. Because I, I feel like uh, I'm always sort of <laughs> pushing the art house thing, and then you're know, like, oh, let's watch Pikachu. Uh, But no. And yes,
1: we should watch Detective Pikachu. (laughs) But
0: but I did. I I, I was watching reviews of of Sonic and and then the reviewer said, oh, this movie is not that good. The Pikachu movie is actually really good.
1: It is. is. But what I wanted to say is like, I actually like you don't know me. You don't know me. Uh, What I would I prefer to do is see everything or see one uh, example of almost everything. Yeah. That's just my appetite. Like I, I go to a buffet. I'm getting the steak, and I'm getting the Brussels sprouts, and I'm getting like the fish. You know, so um, and the, the, I, I don't yeah. know. It would be good if this um, in this podcast we didn't like end up with a certain style of film that we can. No,
0: like, and I I also think if you just review Ingmar Bergman and uh, <laughs> et cetera, There's enough of people who have written about those types of movies, so.
2: Um, yeah, I'm just I interested. In, but Tokyo in, Guy yeah.
0: just a specific favorite, and I don't think it's so well known, so I wanted to bring that uh, to our audience's attention. And yeah. then it's not easily available. Is it so not? So I just I just subscribed to the Criterion Collection, but that's they have a an app just like Netflix, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very happy that I did. I just want to recommend that to people, but I'm not saying you should to for the next episode and you it's could, only in the US and Canada.
1: But you could subscribe but for like a month and then and then cancel, right?
0: You you can subscribe for free for 2 weeks, but for our European and other parts of the world audience, if you go on Google video, I don't want to link to illegal videos, but you can find it. Okay. You, okay. Yeah, if if you do if you go to Google search and then search video and search like a longer format and search Tokyo Ga, then uh, you'll definitely find it.
1: Okay, something to look forward to, Tokyo Ga. Um, again amidst the chaos that that reigns outside I,
0: I'm curious if Kristen would like this movie it's, it's a kind of gentle and it, like it makes you feel good about human beings well I'll see if she, I can get her to watch it um,
1: yeah. it's a challenge and it's,
0: it's the type of movie that you could watch in different parts or uh, like watch it in three parts or step. it's, it's not really a strict mm-hmm. story that you have to follow
1: okay um, that sounds great uh, yeah, I've wanted to watch it for a long time because it's actually cited quite a lot. Um, if you if you read anything about films, I think you see Tokyo Ga come up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. All right. So see you all next week. See y'all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.